Welcome to the Crypto for Newborns podcast, where we take baby steps around the block. I'm your host, Biff Laurie, and this is episode 18, part two of my interview with Dominic Frisby, the author of Bitcoin, The Future of Money. If you're joining this podcast for the first time, I suggest you go back to at least episode 17 to catch the first part of the interview. And now, part two of the interview. Um, further along in the book, you explain why Bitcoin could have a greater impact than the internet, which I thought was a very bold statement, but expound on that a little, if you will. Yeah, I'm not... I'd, I'd forgotten I'd even said that, to be honest, but the... Um, uh, it's tough I'll having things that, in writing, isn't it? <laughs> that we said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you what the thinking behind that. I mean, I, I know that argument, so I'll tell yeah, you what yeah. the logic behind it is. I'm, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but but I, you know, I think this is the important thing of being a, a you know speculating in 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 trading instruments. You know, specu- mm-hmm. speculating. You 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 can't be too dogmatic this is going to happen. This isn't going to happen. You have mm-hmm. to be a little bit flexible in your views and you say, well, this could happen. And you recognize the possibility, you know, everyone's going for hyperinflation is going to happen or no, it's going to be deflation. And I look at it and I go, well, I, I get both arguments and, and I keep an open mind. And, um, was, you know, I think when you, when you're investing in stuff, you have to, it forces you to keep a slightly more open mind, mm-hmm. which might, might make your copy slightly less readable because, readers like opinions but but anyway so you know with that sort of disclaimer out of the way the way in which bitcoin could become bigger than the internet is basically if it becomes the money of the internet Mm -hmm. if it becomes the global reserve currency and i still think there is a reasonable chance that that happens or certainly can become the global reserve currency of the internet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the internet because and i'll tell you why because the at the moment the US dollar is the global reserve currency mm-hmm. and there are plenty of other countries in the world Russia China for example who for political reasons aren't happy that the US dollar has that status mm-hmm. but they also aren't happy that with the US dollar enjoying that status that their wealth should be uh vulnerable to the whims of u.s policymakers, mm-hmm. which you know so the u.s policymakers decide they want a weak dollar so they print more of it and they lower interest rates or they decide they want to stimulate the economy so they do this that and the other so these are all reasons taken political choices made by u.s authorities to do with political domestic political decisions and and a lot of you know, Russia or China or anyone is just thinking, well, why should that have any impact on me? I'm not Mm -hmm. American. I don't benefit from, you know, fiscal stimulus at home or whatever it is. So there's that reason. And then there's just the sheer fact that, you know, Russia or China or whoever have got big egos and they want their own currency to be the global reserve currency. So the US dollar is, is, and and any national currency is limited in terms of scalability by its borders. You know, the, there's a, the pound can only get so big because there's only 65 million people in the UK and the UK's one country. 
So there's, there is just a limit to which the pound can grow on a relative basis. The same goes even for the, uh, the, the, uh, the um, Chinese yuan. Now, there is a possibility that the, the yuan replaces the dollar as the global reserve currency, as the US dollar replaced the pound as the global reserve currency, in which case the, the scalability increases. But they are still limited by their national borders. Mm -hmm. Bitcoin has no such limit on it. It is a borderless currency. And so that gives it an extraordinary growth potential because it's not one country, the citizens of one country who might use it. It is the whole world potentially that might use it as a store of value and as a means, maybe not as a day-to-day -day means of exchange unless they're using the Lightning Network, but I suppose even that's possible. But as a medium of exchange for sort of slightly higher purchases. So that's an extraordinary um, growth potential that it has. That's an, and, and were that to happen, were that to be realized, and, you know, you've got to say it's possible. It's not, it's not probable, but it's mm -hmm. certainly possible. And the more the price rises, the more probable it gets. Then that is why it has a bigger impact than the Internet. Is this to kind of what, and I think you covered this more in your talk about the future of work and money, which I'm going to uh, post a link to it in uh, my show notes for uh, the listeners. Is this kind of where you describe tangible versus the intangible economy and how this that relates to it? Well, it's, it's a related subject. And what that theory is, is that, and by the way, okay, so if you look at, if you were to compare, if you were to take commodities mm -hmm. as a proxy for real stuff, okay, the physical economy, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what is the physical economy? Industry, mining, farming, you know, making real stuff. And then suddenly the digital economy came along in, I don't know, the 80s. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a whole new economy has been created. And it's, you know, because of the replicability of digital stuff, like when I was a kid and you wanted to, if I wanted to record a radio to see, to, to cassette or something, you know, I could only do it one cassette at a time. And if I wanted to make 10 copies, you know, you had to have 10 cassette recorders running right. off your record player or whatever. Mm -hmm. So analog stuff just doesn't have a replicability that digital does. Now with digital, you know, I can copy and paste something a billion times. I can upload an app to the app store and it can be downloaded a billion times. Right. Um, so there's this just this scalability to digital that doesn't exist in the physical economy. And as a result, the growth of the digital economy has eclipsed the growth of the physical economy. And this is a trend that's been going on ever since digital came along in the 80s. But every now and then, digital oversteps itself and the real economy makes a little bit of a comeback, if you like. Mm -hmm. So in the 80s and the 90s, the growth of the digital eclipsed the physical. You know, the physical economy has carried on growing three, four percent a year, but nothing like at the rate that digital has. And it's right. because digital grows so quickly and the return on your investment is so quick right. that it attracts more investment capital. And so you have a sort of virtuous cycle. But anyway, 80s and 90s, right up to 2000, digital eclipsed physical. Then we got the dot-com crash and and commodities were vastly oversold. And for two or three years, three or four years, commodities and real stuff started outperforming 
digital. Mm -hmm. And that peaked at around 2003. And then for about the next five years, the two were in a sort of range traded against each other. They were more or less flat against each other. And, and, you know, the, the noughties was a good decade for both of them. And then the financial crash came along. And since 2009, the growth in the digital economy has eclipsed commodities. Mm -hmm. And since probably 2011, commodities have been very properly in a bear market while digital digital has grown. You talk to anyone who's been investing in, you know, mining stocks or something, they've just had a miserable decade. Mm -hmm. And so for 10 or 11 years, and then we come to about 2011, and something happened, something happened, there was a transition, COVID and whatever. And at first, there was a rush into the digital economy, because the digital economy was going to deal with COVID, you know, we're all going to be using Zoom, we're all going to be using Peloton, right. we're going to be using Bitcoin, <laughs> Google searches are up, blah, blah, blah. And so there was a real boom in the digital stuff. But at the same time, suddenly there was a recognition that that supply chains are broken and mines have shut down and and mines can't operate and farms are right up the swanee and and that led to a shortage of supply mm-hmm. and so suddenly we've seen you know the tin price is record highs copper price record highs oil's gone from minus 30 to nearly 70 you know that's a hundred dollar swing right it's extraordinary for oil mm-hmm. and so suddenly we're in a real bull market for real stuff and then maybe since the beginning of this year maybe february all the stuff with elon musk and suddenly real stuff has been outperforming digital and i think that goes on for another couple of years but ultimately the, the scalability of digital will win through. But mm-hmm. there is just such a shortage of real stuff. And particularly, you know, all the stimulus money that's come in, it's going to lead to all sorts of stimulus spending. And there's been like, you know, lumber shortages. People, they can't get enough lumber to build houses. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, there's been tin shortages. They need the tin for the PVC coating that they put on houses. You know, all this weird niche stuff. But there's just, so we're in a bit of a bull market for physical stuff at the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you think centralized authority like banks and governments are going to allow cryptocurrencies to flourish? And and are cryptocurrencies really a threat? I mean, is there a way that governments and centralized authorities can really utilize it and, and benefit from it? Well, they can certainly utilize the technology and, and, and they are. You know, we've got central bank digital currencies, all these governments around the world working on them. Mm-hmm. So they're certainly exploiting the technology. Um. But at a certain point, there's going to be a war on Bitcoin. And I think that war is starting, you know, I don't think they still yet realize that Bitcoin is a challenge to them. But for 10 years, they ignored it because it was this kind of cool thing that they were too scared to take on. And it's easier just to ignore it. And, you know, George Osborne was buying his Bitcoins. But now this narrative has come out about Bitcoin and the environment. And I think they're going to really try and use that to stop it. Yeah. It and they're like, going to be think yeah. they're going to think they, excuse me, they're going to think they're doing good by that as well. Yeah. It looked like I am mean, obviously Elon, uh, Elon Musk came out with that statement about how they're no longer going to take Bitcoin, you know, to buy Tesla's because of the potential environmental impact. Um, but then also I noticed a lot of pile on stories, um, you know, I mean, uh, centralized authorities saying, you know, Bitcoin's worthless, it's a way, you know, and, and it's just seemed like they really tried to 
to try to just knock it off, but it dropped, um, but it's it's coming back already. So it, it seems like it's going to be a hard thing to kill if that's their intention. Yeah, I think it's too early to say that the bear market's over. Yeah. Excuse me, I, I just had dinner about 15 <laughs> minutes before the thing. It's just giving me the slightest hiccups. I beg your pardon. That's all right. No, not a problem. Um, also, tell us your uh, opinion on uh, Elon Musk and the influence he has on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general. Well, I, I you know, I can't really comment on Elon Musk. I do, oh, excuse me. He, he definitely likes attention. Yes. And he likes the... Um, thrill of making lots of people laugh and entertaining them yeah <laughs> it's, and you it's, can see that in his um twitter th- feed all the memes he posts about yeah. dogecoin and going on saturday night live and all that yeah and he hasn't overtly come out against bitcoin he said he hasn't sold any of his big bitcoins but at the same time he uh has said that, that Tesla's no longer going to accept them. So right. it's not quite as negative as everyone's staying. And I think a lot of what he says has been misconstrued, excuse me. <laughs> um, but the uh, this is going to go on, I'm afraid, until it, until it doesn't. <laughs> it's a bit like a bear market. It, it did seem like, um, you know, the thing that always kind of scares me is low when Elon Musk says anything, how, you know, I mean, I think, you know, People either uh, make millions or they lose millions. I mean, it's it's kind of scary that just one man can be kind of flippant about something. You know, he made that joke on Saturday Night Live about you know Dogecoin being a hustle and the price dropped twenty eight percent. You know, in in like in a matter of minutes. Um, you know. Yeah, I do think he must have taken advice on this, um, unless he's got a very big ego. But I do find it extraordinary how much he has pumped dogecoin up yeah and how many people have invested on the back of what he says in what is essentially a joke right right you know i've seen other you know he might find it funny but there's a lot of people out there who aren't as rich as him yes yeah and if they if he loses a million dollars he's not gonna it's not gonna make a difference in his life but someone loses you know five percent ten percent of their income that's a huge impact you know and trusting him yeah also, too, when I was looking at other meme coins, I know there's a lot of projects out there that they try to give back to the community, so to speak, where, um, you know, you, you buy the coin, but then also the developers and the, the entity behind the meme coins are trying to donate to different charitable causes and that kind of thing. And Dogecoin, I can't really see that it does anything other than it has to be used to have any value at all. Yeah, I do think Doge was. I, I, I can't really comment on Doge because I don't follow it that closely, but I do think it was involved in some, maybe not charitable causes, but 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 amusingly charitable causes at mm. one point. Right. Um, but I also think it's like, am I right in saying that something like twenty people own more than fifty percent of all the coins or something like that? So mm-hmm. there's a few people who are really benefiting from all the pumping. Mm-hmm. You know, what about China's recent ban on cryptocurrencies? Do you think it was a, a smart move for them? Or is it kind of like the kid on the playground who says, you can only play with me if you use my ball and the other kids ignore him and find other balls to play with? Um, well, China's done all sorts of bans on cryptocurrencies ever since the word go, and it hasn't really made any difference. 
Um, and again, you know, those who don't like Bitcoin statists and so on have made a big deal out of it. And pro Bitcoiners have just sort of shrugged their shoulders. And, you know, it's just the latest episode. The I think they have banned some fossil fuel mining of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. um, which is probably not such a bad thing. But the uh, I'm pretty convinced that China has built up large reserves of gold, much larger than they say they have. Mm, and I've, I've audited it, and I'm pretty sure China's got about twice as much gold as the USA almost. Mm. And, you know, you look at rising empires, their money's always sound. And if China's got realistic um, designs on global reserve currency status, then it would help its cause if its money was sound rather than just backed by Chinese military might mm, and mm-hmm. you know i think it's 80 or 90 percent of bitcoin mining takes place in china so how much of those bitcoins actually end up in the hands of the chinese authorities and you know it's got all that gold it, it's the biggest gold producer in the world it doesn't export a single ounce it's also the biggest gold importer mm. so you know maybe it's just adding to its um enormous foreign exchange reserves and, and owning some Bitcoin as well. I really wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Um, you've got to be quite with it and you've got to um, have quite a lot of respect for the ability of of and the imagination of state bodies to move quickly. And most state bodies, in my experience, the career risk of suggesting that we buy Bitcoin is not worth <laughs> it's not worth it. Right. You know, it's, it's it's better. It's just not worth taking that risk. So that that makes me think that is. But it, it might be that it's also possible for authoritarian regimes like China to move more quickly. Um, so, you know, it's possible that China actually owns some bitcoins. It wouldn't it wouldn't ever um, say so. Right. But it is sure. possible that it does. And it's interesting, I was reading an article recently that talks about how now people, because of the scare with Bitcoin and when the price dropped, that they're now moving that investment into Bitcoin into gold. And it sounds like in in the scenario you're uh, telling us about, uh, China seems like they've kind of covered both their bases there. Well, they definitely own lots of gold. Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt about that. Hmm. It's the world's largest gold producer. Hmm. And it doesn't export a single ounce. Wow. That concludes the second part of my interview with Dominic Frisby, the author of Bitcoin, The Future of Money. Episode 19 will have the third and final part. Hope you'll join us for that one. I'm your host, Biff Laurie, and this is the Crypto for Newborns podcast, where we take baby steps around the block. Thanks for tuning in.